Before we begin the podcast, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast on, the people of the Yugambe language region. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Welcome back to Calling Your Lovers. I'm your host, Katie Hennessy, and on today's episode, I'm chatting to sexologist Lauren French. So I'm really excited to have Lauren on because she creates incredible content. That's how I found her through Instagram, and she's an amazing sexologist in Australia. So Lauren and I talk all things sexology, the reasons why you go and see a sexologist, some of the common themes that come up during her practice with her clients, and we touch on desire discrepancy. So if you haven't heard about that, keep listening. And if you have, then there's some explanations and ways to navigate that with your partner because it is something that comes up a lot in long-term relationships especially so yeah keep listening for that we also answer some listener questions at the end of the episode if you love this content please write a review on apple Podcasts because it helps me to keep making these episodes and make them accessible for everyone to learn from. So I'm joined by Lauren French today. So did you want to, oh, first of all, I'll start with your pronouns. So I ask all of my guests uh, what their preferred pronouns are. Uh, yes. So hi, everyone. My name is Lauren French. I'm a sexologist and sexuality educator. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Perfect. And the icebreaker question that I have for everyone at the start of the episode is, do you have a worst date story or worst sex story or something around that? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and just obviously as well, before I go and we start getting into the amazing chat we're going to have, I would like to just acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I am on today, which is on beautiful Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nation. And I would like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I want to pay respects to my elders from the Garajari tribe and acknowledge where I call home, which is on Larrakia land and acknowledge the land that all the listen, beautiful listeners are on today as well, wherever they are listening to this beautiful podcast also. Great. Thank you so much. Now, of course, now the story. So um, it's not, it's, it's, it's not a sex story specific. It's actually a bit of like a crush daty story from many, many years ago when I was quite a bit younger, but it's something I, um, I, I thought of when I saw the icebreaker uh, because basically what had happened, I think, I was in, I think I was in middle school, which I grew up in Darwin. So if you don't know, uh, if you didn't experience middle school, it was like year seven to nine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so what had happened was it was like the end of year nine and there was uh, a boy in my class, as there is always, um, who expressed an interest in me and uh, wanted to ask me out on a date. Now, uh, because this was in year in middle school and people didn't know how to do this in person yet, um, and this was pre a lot of social media, uh, he had sent me an email with like a, hey, Lauren, I think you're really great. You know, like was very flattering so and very cute. lovely, which is very <laughs> cute. Um, and But he had sent me a, a link to a video, which was quite hard to do in those days. It wasn't the simple YouTube uh, <laughs> clip. But he had sent me a clip of uh, Heath Ledger singing I Love You Baby <laughs> from 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> yeah um to to tell me that he was in love with me apparently and so this was the clip that was going to show it anyway um I did not feel the same way for this uh person um and so but obviously I was a very young person and I was trying to work out how best to break this news to them Mm -hmm. um I emailed back and said thank you very much but no I don't want to quite with you but this was very flattering but I mistakenly told some friend of mine clearly about the email, about the clip, about the whole song, uh, because, you know, it was quite a big deal at the time in year eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Like a week later, though, at school, it was like the last week of school and so they put on movies Yeah, and they oh. put on ten things I hate about you. <laughs> and it was in the class he was in and so then all my friends are looking at me and pointing and like, you know, looking at him and I'm just there going, oh, this is just, was such a bigger deal than it needed to be looking back now. What are the chances that they would choose right? that movie? That was literally, that was the universe just being like, we're going to just have a bit of fun mm. here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was just a, a funny thing that came into my brain because I must oh. admit, I don't really have a huge amount of super negative sex stories, those sort of things. I'm I'm fortunate, but also I like to think I've created spaces for myself where like and I'm quite a confident person that when I've been in situations where it looks like the sex is going to maybe be bad or uh, not so great I'm quite confident in saying yeah okay look this isn't super working for me so I'm gonna skadoot kind of thing you so you said that you're always like that like from your sort of like um like first sexual experience that's how you went ahead with everything yeah and you know I was uh I had some really lovely experiences when I was uh, with my first sexual experience because it was with my first sexual partner Mm -hmm. and uh it was in the days where you spent a few months getting to know each other's bodies yeah first and so you know there was build up and anticipation and desire and that meant that I had some really great sexual experiences Mm -hmm. and then the times when I was older where I was inexperienced is where you know you know like maybe it was a night out or mm-hmm. you know it was someone I was interested in but all of a sudden you know we were in kind of a drunken makeout kind of moment I was you know I had experiences where I would say to that person hey look I'm really happy for us to like fool around or you know I'm happy for us to do you know this and this but actually I don't want to have penetrative sex actually I don't yeah, want to do this wow. so we can do this stuff mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be doing that stuff with you and my partners were really receptive to that and were totally fine that's great. Queen of consent. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that title. I don't mind. I love that. I've, I've like honestly never come across someone that has had that much confidence from the get-go. That's that's like something really <laughs> Yeah, incredible. and it's funny. That was something that I, I think at the time when I was younger, like, you know, like, you know that high school, like early um, uni, mm-hmm. I didn't realise was so rare. 
And, you know, I was always a kid that was fascinated by sex. Sex was mm-hmm. so interesting to me. Um, you know, I was the excited for sex ed kid, <laughs> uh, which now makes sense because I now teach sex ed, so it's a lovely full circle moment. Uh, but I remember in uni um, I had friends and people and friends knew that I was, like, open about sex, that I would talk about sex, and so I had some friends coming to me for advice, as per you do. And I was really confused why, you know, one, I had female friends coming up to me asking how to orgasm with a partner. And when I would ask them the question, well, how do you orgasm on your own? They would look at me blankly and just kind of be like, what do you mean on my own? Yeah. And they're going, oh, no, now, I have to, now we have to do a whole masturbation like <laughs> workshop. Um, but then at the same time, I would have friends say, well, how do you let them know you don't want to do anything? Because they mm. were inexperiences and they had had moments where they had been intimate sexual with people they didn't want to be because they couldn't work out a way to actually get out of that situation and so hearing all of this from other people I sat in this space of like well actually how do I really commit some work and time so that people don't feel like this because I don't Mm -hmm. want anyone to feel like they have to do anything with their body or to anyone else's body Mm -hmm. when they're not comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. and so like that coupled with your sort of fascination and this initial sort of fascination around sex is that what led you to become a sexologist and sex educator yeah that was a big part of it you know I was I've always been passionate about sex ed and I think it's it's a hugely important part of everyone's life um I didn't know a sexologist was a job until I was like in the beginning of uni um and I was doing psychology uh because my brain had kind of worked out that you know that was a a field I could get into and then I heard and discovered some sexologists and then I just kind of worked out how I could do that so I finished Mm -hmm. my undergrad I did a master's of sexology in my master's I actually did a dissertation specializing in young Australian women's um lack of condom use in casual relationships Mm -hmm. and it was all about power dynamic Like it was all about comfortability and Mm -hmm. safety and all this kind of stuff. Um, And so then from that, I was able to kind of push forward. But, yeah, a lot of it just started from the fact that I was looking at the people around me going, why is sex so hard? Mm. Like why is talking about it so hard? Why is learning about it so hard? Why is finding accurate information about it so hard? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, something that is such a normal part of our lives and can be a pleasurable, fun, enjoyable part is Mm -hmm. often the negative. Yeah. And I'm not super cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was also like the compassion and empathy that you had for the people around you. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm big on making the world better in my small <laughs> steps love that. kind of specific way. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. Did you want to talk a bit about like what you do um, for mm-hmm. people that are like us previously that didn't even know that sexology existed? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I have kind of two different spaces I work in. So I work for a non-for-profit and do sex ed and abuse prevention education. So I get to go into schools and work with young people, parents, educators about sex ed, doing consent-specific work, do pleasure-specific work, which is amazingly fun. Uh, And then in private practice in clinic, I work with individuals, I work with couples around sexual issues now that mm-hmm. can look like erectile dysfunction premature ejaculation and sexual pain mm-hmm. as they, they kind of when we think of sexual issues those are the brain's first go-tos mm-hmm. um, but a lot of it can be simply about wanting to explore sex wanting to get more pleasure out of it uh, sexual orientation exploration or um you know things like mismatched desire in relationships which i know we're going to talk about in a bit so all of that is spaces where as a sexologist, we can work together to get you to the sex life you want to be having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so m- pretty much every 
person I've ever seen in clinic has always said, you know, Lauren, I just want to have a good sex life or I want to have a better sex life. And so mm-hmm. the first thing we've always got to do is what does that mean? Because mm. everyone is different. So everyone's got a different idea of what a good sex life is. But, you know, my job and a sexologist job is to really look at how do we unpack things in your brain in the kind of mind shed that I like to think of where we put all the boxes of our life in and how do we start to unpack that and work out how that's affecting our sex life currently and mm. where we can move to so that we're having the kind of sex we want to be having with ourselves and mm. with other people. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. And, like, what are the some of the most common things that people come to you for is it the ones that you listed yeah yeah and I think I really see a huge amount of female sexual pain patients Mm -hmm. so uh people suffering from things like vaginismus and so I actually work quite closely with some of our pelvic floor physios Mm -hmm. around doing basically like a kind of multiple practitioner approach Mm -hmm. which is basically so a pelvic floor physio can really work on the physical relaxation techniques for the pelvic floor while a sexologist can help unpack the you know, pain cycles in our brain that we get stuck in and actually Mm -hmm. trying to help us move towards pleasure-focused work in our body. Uh, So I see a huge amount of those patients in the clinic. Yeah, that's great. I love that multidisciplinary approach Mm. because so often I think where I, like when even when I go and see doctors, there's a lack of sort of acceptance in, oh, I can't help this person in this, but I can Mm. collaborate with someone to help them somewhere else. (laughs) And I think we always want to put something in a box of it's a physical or a mental. Mm -hmm. It's both because like your mental might be affecting your erection or Mm -hmm. your ability to have, you know, penetrative sex or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but that's still a physical and a mental. Mm-hmm. And so ignoring one and focusing on the other doesn't always help. Like you need to be looking at things on both angles. And, you know, sometimes trying to just find a cause isn't helpful either. Like we want to know how we're going to move forward with it. Yeah, definitely. Something that I've sort of noticed, um, I've only just recently moved back to Australia. And basically when I left, which was about six years ago, there was zero sex positivity, like mm. no one even in my friend group. Well, in my smaller friend group, we're talking about it, but in the wider friend group, not at all. And I've noticed since I've come back and even while I was away on social media, like influencers, uh, you know, posing with vibrators. And yeah. it was something that I saw when I was living in France a lot because there is mm-hmm. more of a open mindset but in Australia Mm -hmm. I've seen it increase so much in in that space of time that I've been gone do you have any sort of idea on why that could be yeah I mean I think overall Australia is and I want to be clear here slowly (laughs) the word is slowly uh, moving to spaces where we're more open I wouldn't say we're like fully there yet either I think Mm -hmm. sex is and sex has always been a huge part of mainstream spaces it's just always been done in quiet hypersexualized male focused mm. kind of ways yeah. uh, and we're getting slightly out of that though so I would say there's kind of a double-edged sword of that mm. so like the positive is sex is more openly being discussed where people young people are really pushing for comprehensive sex ed consent ed in schools which means these dialogues are not just in siloed spaces it's not just the one positive 
sex ed influencer. It's mm-hmm. actually, you know, being talked about on the news, being talked about in spaces it wouldn't have been previously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the work of some really incredible young people really pushing and pushing and pushing, which is great. Yeah. On the, on the flip side of that, though, is obviously that as, as sex becomes more accepted as, a, as something uh, that is talked about, like, you know, there's a huge spike in kind of what a lot of people call like the sexual wellness, kind of, you know, selling uh, things on, on, the, on the idea of sexual wellness, which is, you know, there's, there's, there's many things there that isn't great. Mm-hmm. And so I think that so sometimes it sits in when sex positivity is actually just sexual wellness selling commercialism kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's great. And I think, you know, anytime we're opening up a conversation and dialogue about sex is probably a good thing because mm-hmm. it makes it more open and less taboo and less shamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we all have to be aware of what that means and to not have sex be, the, you know, so much more a space of being you know, being a commodity and mm-hmm. being a thing that has to be sold or that has to be adjusted or has to be whatever instead of something that can be celebrated and just enjoyed as an individual level. Yeah, definitely. And I was listening to um, you talk about sort of the work that you do on an, um, another podcast that you were on and you were saying that you had clients that had been having painful sex for like eight plus years and mm-hmm us having this conversation and the sex positivity and opening up that dialogue allows those sort of people to know, oh, there is someone that I can go to to talk about this. I'm not like, I'm not weird for feeling like this. Yeah, because even though sex positivity is getting a bigger, you know, movement and people in, you know, like as an online presence, it's being talked about more. Mm-hmm. In friendship groups and in between just regular people, it's still not something that's hugely talked about. Mm. And so um, there's a lot of people that, yeah, have something like sexual pain, like vaginismus, and, yeah, I've dealt with people who've had it for, like, you know, 10 years, and they've never talked about it with friends. It never came up. And so they just thought, well, they were just the weird one and actually no one else experienced this. And there was the assumption that there was nothing that could be done Mm. And so when someone like that hears a podcast like this or like others where you say actually sexual pain is not the normal Mm -hmm. and there is things that you can do and it doesn't have to be the way your life is forever, that's really empowering. Yeah. Because it gives a message to those people that like your sex life as it is does not have to be that way forever. Yeah, and that's going to like sort of spread out to impact Mm. so many other aspects of their sort of view of self and all other types of things that, I guess you're like having a satisfying and rewarding sex life can have. Mm, Exactly. And, you know, there's so much more to sex than penetration. There's so much more to sex than erections and orgasms and all those sort of things. And I think the more we can move to a pleasure focused space where like pleasure is the sole kind of thing we're wanting from sex, uh, you know, we get to that satisfaction a lot quicker. Definitely. It's interesting that you brought up the fact that in friendship groups, people aren't really talking about those more sort of hidden aspects of sex. And one of them I think is desire discrepancy, Mm. um, which I really wanted you to come on and talk about because I get a lot of questions about it. It's something that I've experienced myself, but there's still this sort of taboo I don't know if it's a competitive sort of nature around Mm. it that comes up in friendships where it's like either people don't ask how often you're having sex or there's the comparative 
oh, they're having more sex in their relationship than I'm having in mine. And it's not a great place to be in Um, a conversation. (laughs) Yeah. I think we put a lot of weight on it as well. Like there's, there's a classic theory, which is that everyone thinks everyone else is having more sex than they are. Yeah. Like everywhere all the time. Like anyone you talk (laughs) to will assume that other people have more sex than them. Like no matter what the number is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also the assumption that we make that, well, if another couple is having more sex, then their life, sex life is better mm-hmm. and that their relationship is better. And so, yes, I think it it like, it like it sits in this space of competitiveness but on that fact that we all want to think we're in a good relationship. Mm. And when we see somebody else's relationship, if we go, oh, well, they're having more sex than us, we should be having their level of sex mm. because if we were in a good relationship, I'm using air quotes, yeah. uh, we would be having that level of sex. Now, I want to be really clear, there is no perfect amount of sex. There is no ideal number you should be searching for and I'll have people come in and be like, oh, you know, we should be aiming for the once a week or the twice a week mm. or we should be aiming for, you know, like, but they're all just arbitrary numbers. They Where does that come from? It's probably from some very old magazines, the ones that told you that ice was going to be a big part of your sex life and that grapefruits were always going to be on a penis, like those kind of ones. Probably said things like to keep things spicy and going and whatever, you should have Mm -hmm. regular sex. Now, I agree that regular sex is probably something we want to be aiming for, but regular means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And what regular sex means to me is not the same as you or any of the listeners, like, you got to find what works for your own relationship. Mm-hmm. And so for so just to start, like we can't compare ourselves to anyone else's sex life because that's not your sex life. Mm. You're not in that relationship. You're not having sex with that person. So why do you think the amount of sex you're having is better or worse than theirs? Yeah. It's like held up as like the token sort of image of a good relationship. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but as you like, saying, it goes so much deeper than that. Yeah, like a couple that has sex once a month might be amazingly happy in their sex life and actually much happier than a couple that comes in and says we have sex twice a week and we hate our sex life. Mm. Like it's not always about quantity either, Mm -hmm. you know, the classic quality over quantity. Like it's not always just about the number of times you're having sex. Sometimes it's about the kind of sex we're having. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So when when we're talking about like what, um regular means to you I guess that's Mm. where that desire discrepancy can come in because it's like as you were saying like what I view as regular it might be different to what my partner views as regular Mm -hmm. and then that can also change throughout the course of the relationship as well yes so there's like so so many different dynamics to this topic (laughs) and you know look uh communication is key is a classic cliche Uh, but I like it because it's true Mm -hmm. and sex and communication go hand in hand and for most people for most people in the beginning of a new relationship sex is going to be really high on your priority list Mm -hmm. yeah it's new things it's excitement it's you know all of that really heightened things that heighten our desire Uh, and so therefore a lot of people go through what some people dub the honeymoon phase but what I just say is the beginning of a relationship is a heightened sexual period The longer you're with someone, the more likely you're going to fall out of that heightened sexual period because life, because sex with this new partner all of a sudden isn't the top priority in your whole world because maybe you've been together for a year. 
Yeah. And so there's not that same urgency of new, new, new. Mm-hmm. Now you're actually cohabitating or you're, you know, working out what life looks like in each other's spaces. And therefore there's other things that are naturally going to prioritize above sex. So it is normal, as you said, for sex drives to, you know, dip and flow. Mm-hmm. And some people will really not naturally have higher sex drives than others. Mm-hmm. And within that, I think some people in couples think discrepancy means one person has to go to the other. So if there's a high and a low, then the high has to go down to the low and be happy there. Or the person that's low has to go up to the person that's high and be happy there. Yeah. And that's not the point either. We want to find a space where both people in the relationship feel satisfied and happy with sex, mm-hmm. which is going to involve communication and compromise. Mm-hmm. Wow. (laughs) I'm just like taking that all in. That's so, is this something that comes out for you a lot in your work? Yeah, hugely. And, you know, there's also, we have to think about the reasons people have low desire and low libido as well, because it's not just all innate. You know, Mm -hmm. medications can have huge effects on libido, things like antidepressants, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, differences in our hormones, uh, things when we're not getting a lot of sleep or there's huge amounts of stress in our life. And I want to be really clear, we have all lived through a pandemic and war (laughs) and can we, you know, we've got to acknowledge the fact that it's hugely stressful times. So Mm -hmm. there's lots of reasons why libido can drop. And so there's also that acknowledgement of actually what's the, all the other stuff, like am I just exhausted I haven't been eating well, I'm really stressed, I'm on new medication, birth control, you know, like all these things. Mm. And how are they playing a role in my libido? And are we actually being kind to ourselves and acknowledging that sometimes there are things out of our control that might be having an effect on it? Yeah, I think that's why I've been, it's been such a big topic is because of COVID. Honestly, Mm -hmm. like I remember... I remember reading this article at the start of COVID and it said that um, basically during like uh, World War II, there was like, a, or World War One as well, there was like this huge boom in people having lots of sex. And I was like, I don't really understand. They're like, it's, it was like, they explained it as like an innate biological like feeling of needing to repopulate. And mm. I was like, and so they were basically, the article was basically saying like they anticipate during COVID, this will be the same sort of reaction. <laughs> and I was like, how can you even like feel the pull to want to have sex when everything is so overwhelming? Like for me, the desire is just like out the door (laughs) yeah there's a really good um I forget who said it which is terrible of me but um there's a great saying which is that um you know zebras aren't going to have sex in front of a lion (laughs) because they they know it's not safe yeah and there's an element here of the fact that when you're when we're constantly surrounded by news and danger and threat Mm -hmm. your libido drops yeah, mm-hmm. in that moment because safe. we're in. It's not safe. And mm-hmm. so, but what's happening though with this pandemic and with everything is that it's going on for so long that yeah. all of a sudden, you know, because the maybe government, maybe other areas are like, we're going back to normal and actually mm-hmm. it's all good. We then go, well, then why isn't my libido back to normal? Mm-hmm. Even though we're not in normal. Because yeah. realistically your old normal doesn't exist anymore. We have to work out what the new space is for us. Yeah. And so 
you know, I think there's huge amounts of elements here around the fact that people go, well, I want my sex drive to be back where it was before COVID, Mm -hmm. but that's as if we could all say, let's pretend COVID never happened. (laughs) Pretty hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. That is really hard. So what is like the first step you would say, if you are feeling like you and your partner are a bit mismatched at the moment? Mm. So the first thing I would say is address it, call it out with each other and have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Don't do this in bed, to yeah. be very clear. <laughs> Pick a neutral space like a couch or in the kitchen or on a walk, actually walking like mm. what these called are like driving walking conversations where you're not staring at each other. So mm. um, are actually really good moments for this. You don't want to have it in bed because bed is often a sexual space for people. And when you're having a conversation about sex in a not so amazingly positive light necessarily, and it's in the space that you have sex, that can be really emotional and heavy for people. So you want to pick somewhere neutral and you want to talk it out with your partner in the way of, hey, I'm and using eye language. It's a very therapy kind of term. But, you know, say how you feel. What we often want to do is put feelings on our partner. I feel like you don't want me very often. I feel like you don't want sex. I feel like you don't care about sex. And it's, it's very you language because mm-hmm. we put our feelings onto our partner. Trying to keep it from yourself, I feel like we don't have a lot of sex at the moment. You know, I'm feeling not so wanted or desired. I'm mm-hmm. feeling, you know, whatever the feeling is. See, and then see how your partner is feeling because you might not know, you know. And so get a bit of a sense check first so you both know you're on the same page. If only one of you thinks there's a problem, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. because it means we haven't communicated and talked about it. Where would you go after that? Like say that, say your partner's sort of um, like, I've been noticing, yeah, that there mm-hmm. is sort of a lack of desire between us and the sex isn't really happening as much. Where would you go from there? Depending on how the conversation goes, two spaces. Uh, the first is you might need a sexologist. Mm-hmm. You might need a safe space, a neutral space, and a mediator to have that conversation because you might try and do that yourself and emotions go really high. We don't get the kind of conversations we're wanting to have and that's not a super negative to your relationship. That's why our job exists, mm-hmm. yeah? It's to help facilitate those conversations and sometimes we just need a third party in that space. So if the conversation on your own goes terribly, it's not, you know, and coffin, a nail in the coffin of your relationship. It just means maybe we need to reach out and get a bit of assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I would do with people and then, you know, what you can do on your own is then talk about when are you, when, when you and your partner, when do you feel sexual? Because that's the first thing to kind of go, where is the actual discre- discrepancy? Because mm-hmm. maybe it's that one person really wants to have sex in the morning and the other person really wants to have sex at night. And those two people are never meeting at the same time because <laughs> yeah. the morning person is always annoyed to be woken up by an erection and the <laughs> night person is always exhausted and doesn't, couldn't even think about having sex before bed. Mm-hmm. And so something as simple as like, actually, when do you want to have sex can be a really great way of going, okay, let's look at these two things because if they don't, if, they, if there's no natural uh, ways that this connects, mm-hmm. then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people sit in a space where they think sex has to be spontaneous all the time. And that spontaneity is the, you know, the highest success rate in, in sex life, that it mm-hmm. should be always spontaneous and passionate and against a wall in a shower with orgasms <laughs> all happening all at the same time. Um, we've all seen that movie. I don't know if we've all <laughs> experienced that in real life because I don't think it exists in real life very often. 
Um, and so I want to be really clear that like spontaneous sex is great, but it's not the be all end all of a great sexual relationship. And actually, particularly in long term relationships, uh, scheduled sex can be great. Mm. and can be really helpful, particularly with desire discrepancies because let's say you've got that morning and night completely different spectrum people. Mm-hmm. They might realise that, okay, well, I don't want to go into one person going to the morning, the other person going to the night. We want to find a middle ground. And what they might discover is, okay, after work in the kind of late afternoon before we try to do dinner and all those kind of things, that's actually a good time to have sex. It's not too late that we're exhausted, but it's actually not, you know, so early that I'm barely awake and maybe we try to sense check stress and that's a good time. Mm. And then what we might do is actually look at when do we schedule in a few of these times to have sex and actually make notes and time. And maybe it's not that we have to have penetrative sex, but we make time to be sexually intimate with each other. Yeah. Now, a lot of people will hear that and go, but Lauren, I'm not going to be horny or turned on. Yeah, I was going to say scheduling sex does not sound very sexy. <laughs> yeah, and, but this is the funny thing. It's not, and but it's not meant to be. The point of this is not to make you super horny beforehand. What it's doing is it means you and your partner are both agreeing and setting apart space and time to then get each other horny. Mm. It's not like you go, okay, well, um, we're going to have penetrative sex at 4.45 p.m. And at that exact moment, your penis needs to be going into my vagina and that's that's where we've got to be. Like, that's not it at all. What it's yeah. saying is like, hey, how about at 4.30 we start fooling around? Mm-hmm. So this is and like so, setting aside a long amount of time. It's not like 15 minutes. <laughs> no, it's not like 15 minutes. It's like an hour. I would say, because you want to get yourself both in a position where you can turn each other on and you can, you know, this is where we talk about the difference between like waiting for things to spontaneously occur, like waiting to get horny Mm -hmm. and actually making a time to enjoy sex. Mm. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. I can make time to have sex even when I'm not feeling particularly horny and still have amazingly pleasurable sexual experiences. Just as much as I can have kind of spontaneous aroused moments mm-hmm. without making myself go and have sex. Mm-hmm. Like they can happen in isolation and be totally mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. So, yeah, you want to create some spaces where you can explore that and do that. And as well, what people forget is like the idea of like, you know, a 4.30 sex on a Tuesday doesn't sound very sexy. <laughs> Until 3 o'clock on Tuesday rolls around. <laughs> And you know, like on your way home from work, maybe or whatever it is, you're like, no, you're going home to have sex. And that's exciting. Mm. You know, what might happen eventually is you and your partner start sending flirty texts or some, like, you know, you swap some pictures or, you know, you send each other, like, I can't wait for you to get home because I'm going to do this to you, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you're actually building up the intimacy and anticipation before you get to the time you decided would be good to have sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like that lead up to Christmas. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's the excitement. And I think, yes, that when it's spontaneous, that's great. But actually sometimes giving ourselves longer to build up to it, which you don't get with spontaneous sex, yeah. is also really helpful, particularly for people who take a while to get really fully turned on and aroused and want time, particularly to get mentally turned on, not just mm. physically. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's like a big thing of where the discrepancy happens is that mm. one person it doesn't take that long and so they don't really understand that 
you do need to invest that time and that energy and put aside that time, like you're saying. Mm. And I think some people can think this is a very like heteronormative issue and that only happens in kind of hetero male, female, very like standard relationships. But desire discrepancy is something you see in kind of all spaces, in all kind of relationships and Mm -hmm. over all periods of time. And Mm -hmm. the longer you're with somebody, the more likely you're going to eventually have desire discrepancies. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it's the end of your relationship. Yeah. It just means we might actually have to put some work in. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's so good to know. I think for everyone to hear, because it's not something that we're taught. Like for me, I knew that this was a thing because I've experienced it, but I didn't even have the language around it until I started watching um, some therapy talks (laughs) and reading and reading more about it. Like, um, um, oh, I can't remember the book right now. Oh, Come As You Are. Yep. Yeah, that was amazing. So validating to have the words to express what was Mm. happening because otherwise you just think, oh, this is only happening to me. And even to know that the spontaneity is so rife at the start and then it sort of fizzles out, that I was never taught. (laughs) But, But that's also when you think of the media we consume, you see the spontaneous, you see the, you know, I always joke when I teach in schools, like if someone filmed my partner and I's relationship for a week, it would be the most boring piece of film you would ever watch. Like really? Yeah. Like, like, you know, and I like my life and my partner and I have an amazing relationship, but that would be boring because there's no drama. There's Mm. no huge conflict. Maybe someone didn't do the dishes. That'll be the most drama you get in the week. But like, it won't be the big drama you see in movies and TV shows. It's not that big thing. And it doesn't end with just a happily ever after or like a yay moment. Just like the wedding and then they end the movie. Yeah. Like life (laughs) continues. (laughs) Yeah. Like life continues. And eventually actually you're going to have job stuff, family stuff, friend stuff that is actually in the moment more important than sex. Mm. Like I'm not going to pretend that sex is your number one priority all the time because actually that's a pretty unsustainable way to live. Mm-hmm. Sex should be a prioritised, but every day you have to work out, you know, we've only, you know, everyone has 24 hours in the day. Some days I just need to focus on work and sleeping and eating and showering yeah. and that's where my capacity is. And then sometimes I look at my week and go, I know this week is crazy. So in my brain, I'm going to talk to my partner and I'm going to say, you know, Sunday morning, that's going to be an amazing time for us to connect. Mm-hmm. And then I look forward to it. You know, then yeah. it's a yay. This is going to be really great. Mm-hmm. Rather than kind of just the constant every day, oh, no, we haven't had sex. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you get in a phase of your relationship where you go, you might look back and go, oh, wow, it's been like a week or two weeks or it's been a yeah. month. I think the less you have it, the less you, like, crave it as well. Yeah, well, it's funny, though, because, like, not having sex for a month isn't a problem. Mm -hmm. When your brain starts telling you, oh, no, that's bad and terrible and our relationship is on the rocks and da-da-da-da, like, that's where the negativity comes in. Mm -hmm. And that becomes the problem because now sex is an issue. Yeah. That's why you have the conversation to start because you might go, oh, no, we haven't had sex in a month, and you talk to your partner and they go, well, yeah, we haven't, but, like, I'm, I'm, I feel good with our sex life. And then you go, 
Oh, actually I do too. I just, my brain was telling me a month was too long to wait. Like that's why you check in because actually society might be telling you there's a problem when there Mm -hmm. isn't actually a problem. Yeah. We love a relationship (laughs) (laughs) check-in. I like to think of it as like investing in your relationship and it goes to the Mm. same as like putting aside that time every week or every month or however ever you got you both decide um you and your partner decide as like yeah investing back in to the two of you or however mm. many of you there are in the partnership yeah and you know that time you might say is going to be for sexual intimacy but like that can look very different for everyone as well Mm-hmm. And I think the drive has to be, okay, then if we're going to do that, then we have to do all the sexual things, all the moves, all the positions, all the places in this one instance. And maybe you just want an hour of like making out. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, bring back the make out. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> do some just like, do some dry humping. It is particularly mm-hmm. fun. So just like, you know, also don't put an expectation of what those sexual experiences have to be to be successful. It's successful if you and your partner are happy and satisfied. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Are you happy to dive into some listener questions now? Yes, please. Very excited. Okay, cool. Not sure if we'll get through all of them, but we can try. Um, The first one I'm really excited about because I haven't talked about this topic before. It says, I have a kink that I really want to try, but I'm single and I'm nervous about bringing it up with the guy I'm currently casually sleeping with, but then also don't know how I would bring this up with someone I met on a night out. I want to feel safe exploring it as it's something I've never tried before, but I've only seen on porn. Amazing question. And I'm not going to lie, we probably need an hour to go through, <laughs> through all of my answers for this. But look, my first thing is back to what I said before is communicate in a neutral space. Anytime you want to try anything with a sexual partner, talk about it in a non-sexual space mm-hmm. and bring it up from a, I'm really curious about this thing. Have you ever thought about it? Don't be discouraged if your partner says, no, I've never thought about that. That's not a bad thing. And that's why you don't bring it up in the moment, like in the middle of sex, being like, hey, do you want to try this? Because you're not giving your partner any time to actually consider what it is and whether they do or don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So having a think and how you're going to explain it is why you want to try it. And your answer can be as simple as it turns me on. Mm -hmm. I find the idea really hot and I think this would be really sexy and I'd really think it'd be really pleasurable and that's why I want to try it. And then give your partner time to research it to look into it, to talk, ask questions about it before you ever think about actually trying it in the bedroom mm-hmm. or the bathroom or the shower or the couch or the car mm-hmm. or wherever you're doing it. Great. It's my very short answer yeah. to that question. No, that's a really good one. Um, definitely. I think that's a great answer for that one. So the second one says, I want to open up my relationship to explore with people of the opposite sex, but I don't think my partner will be open to it. What's the best way to bring this conversation up and get my needs across without hurting them? Mm. Similarities, again, could talk about non, about, you know, ethical non-monogamy and open relationships <laughs> and all those things. Um, look, again, think about the why, like why you want to be doing this and what what you think is going to be really great uh, in, in this experience for you, but also why you want to do it without, like, you know, with your partner in a way. So, you know, the fact you might say, you know, things like I love our relationship and I really like being with you and all these sort of things, 
but I'm noticing this about myself, that I'm curious and that I'm in a space where this is something I really want to explore. I still want to be in a relationship with you. I still want us to be in a relationship together, but I'm wanting us to talk about what it might look like for me to explore this space and what your partner might need if you were to explore that space. You know, how involved do they want to be with that? How included? Um, is it going to be symmetrical or asymmetrical in that open relationship? Like are they going to be able to go and sleep with people or explore? Um, is it something you're going to do together as a couple rather than you as an individual? Like there's lots of uh, ways of doing it. There's no right or wrong. But coming from a place of this is what I want to gain from these experiences and actually, this is what I love about our current relationship. Mm, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So then they're not feeling like it's all, I'm not feeling like yeah. good in this situation. I need to go because th- that's like, I feel like the ego is going to come out and they're just, they're just going to f- hear everything that mm. you're missing. And I think we forget a lot of the time that in, even in a relationship, people have an individual sexuality. You will always mm-hmm. have an individual sexuality that is about you and not your partner. Mm-hmm. And even when we're with a partner, a long-term, completely satisfying relationship, sometimes there's those experiences, particularly when we want to explore, you know, with same-sex relationships that our partner can't give us, and that's not a deficit to our partner. Mm-hmm. But it's also about, well, if I go and explore these spaces with, you know, these other partners, what am I hoping to gain for my current relationship from that as well? Yeah, I never thought about that. Um, okay. So the next one they've written in brackets, vulva owner. I'm struggling to reach an orgasm with partners. It's something I can manage by myself, but every time I'm with a partner, I can't seem to get there. Yeah. Thank you. Vulva owner. Um, (laughs) it's a really common problem for vulva owners. Uh, normally people with vulvas can make themselves orgasm really quickly. Not always, but that's a really easy thing. It's always going to take longer with a partner. Mm. always and you know instantly I've got questions for this vulva owner such Mm -hmm. as uh have they shown their partner how they make themselves orgasm have they like like shown it on their own body so that their partner can see what that looks like when their partner is touching them are they allowing enough time to actually fully relax into the experience. We often will recommend people, you know, particularly if their partner wants to give them oral sex uh, or go down on them, is to let them do that for like 30 minutes, which seems like forever when I've just said it. Uh, But it's enough time that your brain starts to stop kind of freaking out because as soon as your brain's doing the why aren't you orgasming, why aren't you orgasming, come on, like you've just got to do it, that's never going to make you orgasm because it's not sexy. That's not a fun space to be in. You need to allow your time for your brain and body to relax into the sensation you're getting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of vulva owners need about 20 to 40 minutes of stimulation, both mental and physical, to reach an orgasm with a partner. So Mm -hmm. my biggest point here is maybe you need to let it have a little bit more time. Yeah, booking in that one hour. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The next one reads, recently I've been experiencing pain with sex, mainly in specific positions that I haven't before. I don't know what to do, uh, but this, but is this something a sexologist can help with? 
Yes, yes, it is something a sexologist can help with. It's something a pelvic floor physio that we work with can also help with. Um, and there's, this is the thing, there's lots of reasons. I won't go through all of them because some are scary and some are not and there's no way to know from that question. Uh, but there can be things with pelvic floor. There can be things uh, with uh, lubrication. There can be things with arousal. Um, and classically, our bodies likes to get into pain cycles. So as soon as something is painful during sex, it sends signals to your brain to say sex hurt mm. and your brain learns then that sex is something that is painful. So then when you go to have sex again, your brain sends signals to your pelvic floor saying that hurt. And so you tense because mm. your body's preparing. It's like if I threw a pencil at your eye, I'm obviously not going to because I'm a voice <laughs> on a podcast. Uh, but if I did, like you would flinch, your eye would close because you're preparing for the pain you know is about to come from getting hit in the eye. Yeah. That's the signal your brain is starting to send your body. So no matter the cause, the longer you're in those cycles, the longer it usually takes to get us out of those cycles. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend if you're having pain, pain is not normal with sex, that you should be reaching out and getting some help and assistance with that. Yeah, great answers. <laughs> I feel like all of these you're like, book in a session because we're gonna we're gonna need to yeah, go yeah. deeper <laughs> well that's the thing it's like all of these could be topics all of on their own um, and there's you know and that's the thing with sex there's never just one simple answer yeah. but I think the best thing to do if you're having a sexual concern or something you're, that you're thinking about is to take a step whether mm -hmm. that's a conversation with a partner whether that's a conversation with a friend whether that's reaching out to a sexologist whatever it is take a step mm. yeah and I think that's it's some like that's why I love doing these podcasts um talking about sex specifically is because I do get so many questions that are so detailed and there's so many layers to them and people haven't had the sort of um courage to go out and ask for help and so I'm, I'm like okay I'll have this space where you can write in and get sort of a taste of assistance and then hopefully work on from that. Exactly. You know, and if, you know, send this podcast to friends. Be like, hey, I'd love, and particularly friends, if you've never talked to your friend about sex, mm -hmm. send them this podcast link, let them listen to it, and then go, hey, let's chat about sex. Yeah. And just open up a conversation because you have no idea how helpful and amazing that can be for someone. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, the spaces that you can reach that you would never have realised was something that was an issue. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you to book in a session, to follow you on Instagram? Yeah, so uh, at Lauren French Sexologist on Instagram, you can come. I put on some uh, educational content and some just like hilarious content, I think, at least <laughs> at times. It um, is. <laughs> up on there. Uh, you can book in sessions with me through the Australian Institute of Sexology and Sexual Medicine, and there is a link on my Instagram for that as well. Uh, I have a website coming out soon, but it is not out yet, so <laughs> eyes open for that. Um, but, yeah, uh, mainly on Instagram, so come follow me there. Great. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, everyone.